Good morning. Why don't we stand up and greet one another? Good morning. You can end with that, too. Just tell them before they sit down. And I know that, and I forget. I'll try to remember. I will. <laughs> I'll give you a sign. That would... <laughs> I wanted to bring up, um, you know, the fires in Lahaina in, uh, on the island of Maui. Uh, they are still, of course, in the middle of uh, cleanup and just uh, ministering to the families there as far as the local churches are concerned. Uh, we do have a connection, so I, I wanted to let everyone know that if, uh, if the Lord is putting it on your heart and you don't know how um, you would do it, but y- you, you desire to go and help out in some way, uh, we do have Cal- Calvary Chapel Moreno Valley that we can work through. And uh, I can put you in contact with them, and uh, that way you can, you can go out there. So, um, again, there's, as you know, there is devastation out there with these fires, and uh, it looks like it's just, uh, it was absolutely, looks like a war zone, uh, and even worse, because everything was, was lost. And so, um, yeah, if the Lord is stirring your heart, if that's something that the Lord is calling you to, then, uh, then let me know. And I'll give you all the details that you need. And uh, you can pray about it, count the cost, and see if that's something that the Lord is calling you to uh, as you find out more information. So just see me afterwards for that. Uh, This morning we are in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. The title of the message is The Authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. It is the story of the time when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, and that's what we're going into this morning. So, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin by reading uh, the first 10 verses, which is the account of Jesus being called. And, uh, and then going to, responding to that, uh, that request and going to the home or, he doesn't get there, but he's going to the house of the centurion and we'll see how all that works out. So let's read Luke chapter 7 and verse, verse 1. It says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick And at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, 
Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Oh, Father, if we had this faith, Lord, how wonderful it is. Lord, this man made you marvel. That is, that is wonderful, Lord. How it is that without faith, as we know, it says in Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible to please you. And yet, Lord, this man, this man exercised a faith in you that was unmatched by anyone else. In fact, you used him as an example of faith. And so if you used this man to be an example of faith for your disciples in the moment, Father, I pray that you would use him in this moment in the same way that we too might make you marvel by the faith that we express Oh, Lord, you've called us to be faithful even in the little things. And I pray, Lord, that as we do so, no matter what it is, that it would be pleasing unto you, coming from hearts that are sincere, genuine toward you. And so, Father, we lift up this time to you. We ask, Father, as always, that you would give us understanding that the teacher would be present And that the students, Lord, would be ready to hear what you have to say. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning, and this is the the beginning of two events that we're going to see in the, not only today, but we'll continue on next week as far as how it is that Jesus raised the widow's son Next week, but today we deal with the situation that was before Jesus of this centurion having requested Jesus to come and heal his servant. We know that as we studied Luke chapter 6, Jesus had previously healed the, healed the sick and delivered people from demonic possession. And this morning, again, we have this wonderful situation, this example of faith before us in this Roman centurion. He was a Gentile. He was not even a Jew. And we see it expressed through his trust and belief that Jesus can indeed heal his servant. And we come across situations like this, and we, we desire, we, we hope for, we... We even request that perhaps 
we would experience something like this ourselves, that we would see God do the impossible in our lives, don't we? It should be encouraging. It should be something that increases our faith and helps us to understand that God is able to do that. He desires to do that, but we also need to ask why. I've told you in the past that many people come through those doors and what we are looking for is for God to do something on our behalf. For God to heal a broken marriage, a broken relationship, addiction, all kinds of things, and yet God is able to do those things. But the most important thing is yet to be known. Because if that's all he does, then please listen closely. Because we need to ask that question with a genuine heart toward the Lord that we may incline our ear to him and hear the answer. Because is the healing of our broken marriages, is the healing of an addiction, a deliverance from addiction, are things like that, really, is that, is the church a means to that end? Is Jesus a means to that end, is what we need to ask. Did Jesus simply come to heal people of infirmities and raise people from the dead? Was that the goal or was, it a, was that a means to an end? I think about when it was that I recommitted my life to the Lord. Although I was coming thinking perhaps God will fix something. What was most important is that I allowed him to fix my heart that I would simply submit to him. And then things, interestingly, interestingly, started falling into place. Because if you consider the fact that the people who were healed by Jesus, who were even delivered from demonic possession, who were given sight, hearing, were able to speak, those who were paralyzed, were given strength in their legs and made to walk, that those same people, those very same people, doesn't matter if they were young or old, they all experienced death eventually, didn't they? Each one. And so if this, if this is all they achieved, a little more time before suffering eternally, then what was the point? What have you gained? So that's why we must ask, why? What is the purpose for Jesus healing the sick then? What is the purpose of him delivering the possessed and raising the dead? John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, make it abundantly clear. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. And so it is not only in the Gospel of Luke, and so it is in the Gospel of John, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, and in the Gospel of Matthew. In each one of those. The purpose for seeing the authority of Jesus is to believe that he is the Son of God. And by believing in Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, that we may have eternal life in his name. He has the authority and the power to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Jesus knew that eventually those whom he healed would die. What good would it have been if he only helped them for a short time while on earth? And yet, they suffered eternally in hell. I'm sorry, folks, but that would, be, that would be a sick joke. God is not only not a joke, but these things that were performed in the day of Christ were meant to point to him as the Savior, the Son of God. Salvation. That is the bottom line. Because remember how it is that, that our lives are described in, in the book of life. In, in God's word. What is it? It's like a, if you're taking the, the sprayer, you know, especially in the summer, you know, you cool down and, and you have those that have fans. But you, you give it a spray and a little mist comes out. You see it for a little bit, Right? And then it fades away. How fast does it go away? Just like that, right? That's how our lives are described. A vapor, a mist, as it says in James 4.14, appears for a little time and then vanishes. So why would this vapor of life be what is focused on? And yet that's what we're inclined to do, isn't it? Oh man, we look at this life and we want it, we do want it to be the best, like everything, like uh, something that perhaps we're, we're happy with and we're built up and yet the Lord is saying, no, we, we live in a fallen world. I've sent my son that you may be reconciled that you may look forward to glory, the very presence of God that he will bring you into. Don't you think that Jesus would be more interested in dealing with the eternal than with the temporal? He deals with both. But if the eternal is not taken care of, then the temporal, well... Where are you going? It's one or the other. It's heaven or hell. There's no, nowhere in between. Nothing in between. Matthew 10.39. Jesus said, Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. So while we look at this one event this morning, I want to draw your attention how Jesus has the authority and he has the power to do what no one else can do. That by seeing this, your faith in Jesus may deepen and that you may also understand what is most important is to lead others to Christ. That he may be their Lord and their Savior, not only now, but for all, for all eternity. Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So again, chapter 7, verse 1, says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So here we see the centurion's request of Jesus to come and heal his servant. Capernaum, from the place where he was previously teaching, was not that far. It was, uh, it was in the area of the Sea of Galilee. And while he was there in Capernaum, a Roman centurion, who had heard about Jesus, sent for him to come and heal his servant, who was very ill. And did you notice who he sent, though? This is interesting. This is a Gentile. This is a Roman centurion. And yet the people, the group of people that were sent initially to Jesus to request and plead on behalf of the Roman centurion were a group of Jews, leaders. They were elders. This man was a Roman soldier. And yet he had the favor of these these Jewish people. And they made it a point to go and request to intercede, to advocate for this man. And they gave the reason why they came and, and pleaded on behalf of the Roman centurion. It was because he was the one who had a part in building their synagogue. So they were very grateful for that. It is believed that this was a man, and especially expressed by what he did at this time, that he was a God-fearing man, although limited in his understanding of who God was, certainly he was a God-fearing man. He acknowledged God. In fact, he looked to Jesus, having heard of what he had done, and sent these men, men knowing that he had healed, he had delivered people from demonic Oppression and possession, he had done all that. And upon hearing that, he called on this group of elders and he asked them to go and request this of Jesus to do, to heal his servant. And these men were willing to do that, to plead with Jesus. They made an attempt at justifying why this man was worth healing. They were acting as his advocate. 
It's pretty interesting, you know, that uh, they also, with limited understanding of who was before them, was saying, hey, this man, the Roman centurion, is worthy of having this request fulfilled. Why? Because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. He is worthy. So please, come and and do this. Fulfill this request. But remember this. Is there anyone who comes to Jesus who is deserving of anything? Romans 3.10 None is righteous, no, not one. There's absolutely no one that could have possibly advocated for me telling Jesus that I am worthy of saving. Zero. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do you have to bring to Jesus that's worth anything? Our righteousness on our best day when we are most holy and righteous, we, we have given our, we're so gracious, we're so merciful, we're so kind and compassionate. I am more gracious and worthy of you. Oh, that's the mentality, that's the heart. Even if you come and you are amazing, you are the example of the example of the example of the example. Your faith far surpasses the faith of this Roman centurion. Truly, you are worth saving. Even in that day, your righteousness, my righteousness, is like a dirty garment before a holy and righteous God. You think you've done too much? For you to be saved, for you to be forgiven... No, never. Not at all. And yet we're duped into believing, fooled into believing, as the enemy whispers in our ear that we have done too much. And how dare we think that of someone else? Be careful that we don't also say the same thing of someone else that we ourselves are demanding for us. That would make us hypocrites. So I want you to remember that although these men, these group of Jewish elders, were pleading on behalf of this Roman centurion, he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. It's like, it doesn't, all that doesn't matter. It just matters that he's calling on me. That's it. That's all that matters. Because no one is worthy, none is righteous, no one has done things deserving of Jesus' forgiveness and salvation. Jesus knew this, but he agreed to go with them to the centurion's house to heal this man. Remember, keep in mind, the healing is serving a purpose that is far greater than the actual healing itself.
think about the things that you ask God to do. His purpose goes far beyond just taking care of your immediate needs. Verse 6, And Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This man had a great understanding of authority. For those of you who had the privilege of serving in one of our branches of the military in the United States, you know this all too well. I believe better than anyone else could understand chain of command, authority. And if you fail to learn that while in the military, you will be helped in understanding the chain of command so that you may adhere to it at some point. Anybody here served in the military? Little one back there? (laughs) Maybe in the future? Well, this man, he understood authority. When Jesus was getting close to the centurion's house, the centurion, instead of sending the, the Jewish elders, now he sent friends. He sent a group of friends to Jesus to speak to him. And we learn why it is that this man didn't go himself to go and request of Jesus to heal his servant. Because for us, uh, perhaps in, in our culture, we would say, well, that's kind of disrespectful. Why didn't he just humble himself and go himself? We need to understand what we have before us. In fact, he explains it. Why it is that not only did he not go, but he says more, as we see here. In fact, we also learn why he didn't want, even want Jesus to, to actually like physically get to his house and then enter into his house. You know, we can, we can have assumptions and then we have an explanation and then we understand, ah, oh, wow, interesting, amazing. While the Jewish elders were advocating on this man's behalf and giving reason why Jesus should go to his house and heal his servant, now, because they were were lifting him up, right? They were saying he's worthy of having this done for him. But this man had had a different picture of himself. Because now we see the centurion giving reason why he is really not worthy. (laughs) The Jewish elders, he's worthy. The Roman centurion, I'm, I'm not worthy. I understand that. I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy, he was saying, of you entering my home. I wasn't even worthy to go speak to you. 
You see, this man knew the barriers that existed in that day between the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, if you go to Israel, you may see that for yourself. Those of you who have gone know exactly what I'm talking about. There's still the picture of Orthodox Jews as they see the Gentiles as being unclean. This man knew this, this Roman centurion, he, he knew. He knew that this was just the religious rules of the Jews in that day. That's, this is what they were practicing. It was not against God's law, it was against their practice. And perhaps this is exactly what the centurion was thinking when he said he didn't want to trouble Jesus and have him come under his roof. You see, he was, he was thinking more about Jesus than himself. He's saying, I, I don't want to trouble you. In fact, I don't want to put you in this predicament. I don't want to put you in that trouble, troubled spot. What a wonderful thing that this Roman centurion did. And again, just having a high esteem of Jesus above all. Others had a high regard of him, and yet he had a low regard of himself. An uncommon characteristic of a man outside of Christ. Is it okay to have a low regard of ourselves? Is it okay? A right, low regard of self, a biblical one. As he sent this word to Jesus, he also acknowledged Jesus' authority to heal. He knew that all Jesus had to do was just say the word. I trust that you have the authority and the power to do this very thing. You don't even have to be here. I know that. Just say the word, and it's as good as done. This man knew it wasn't a special outward act, some kind of a magic thing, you know. In fact, the woman that had the flow of blood, it didn't have to touch the, the garment of Jesus in order for her to be healed. Nothing externally has to be done in order for anyone to be healed or for something to be done, but simply just the word of Jesus and it's done. This Roman centurion knew this. It was simply the authority of Jesus' commanding word that would put into motion whatever it is that he desired to do, that he will to do. And this man... He believed that. He trusted in Christ to do that. Jesus didn't have to be physically present for this to take effect. He just believed. It simply hurt. How much did he have to hear in order for him to believe this? I'll tell you what, we've heard much more. <laughs> and, and, so, and there are more people that doubt we have the scriptures before us. We see the account and we read the account and we study the account of what it was that Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, 
has performed and been faithful to and has the power and the authority to do. How much did this Roman centurion see? Probably didn't see anything. It says here that he heard about Jesus and he believed. It was because he knew that gen- what genuine authority looked like because he had authority over his soldiers. And what he commanded, they executed. His word was what put things in motion. And he believed that whatever it is that Jesus said, it would come about. And so, this man had faith in the authority of Jesus over sickness after what he had heard about Jesus. Absolutely, he, he has the authority. He has the power. Norval Geldenhide said this, quote, He believes that, just as he, a man with authority, is obeyed by his subordinates, just so surely will the authoritative utterance of Christ be fulfilled even though he is not present where the sick person is, close quote. And so I pray that we would have a firm grasp on the authority of God, just as this Roman centurion had in this day. As he saw Jesus having the authority to heal and simply waited to see Jesus do it. He just submitted himself to him. He waited expectantly. Do we wait expectantly? That's what what hoping is. Sometimes what we do is we try and do things in our own power. We're not waiting expectantly. We do things in the flesh and then we say, oh God, bless that. But the cart before the horse, we need to to wait expectantly on the Lord. He is faithful. May we subject ourselves to his authority too. In other words, whatever it is that his will is, so be it. He is God, we are not. Then we have this faith affirmed by Jesus himself in verse 9. It says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever read through this? Thought, wow. This centurion's faith made Jesus marvel. Have you ever desired to to cause Jesus to marvel? It's not a prideful thing. And I just want to express such faith and hope in him that perhaps, you know, in some way, we would cause him to go, yeah, that is pleasing. For him to marvel. It says here, he marveled. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did this Roman centurion not be rewarded? Was he not rewarded? He was rewarded, right? 
for his faith. He, he believed that not only he exists, but that he is able to do this. This man's faith, the exercising of his faith, caused Jesus to marvel at him. His trust of Jesus and his belief in his authority. The centurion didn't demand. In fact, he, he was very careful. He didn't want to come across as being presumptuous. In other words, he, he didn't want to come and demand. Like, this is exactly what you want to do. That's why I was telling you earlier, he, he just simply subjected himself to him. You just wait, hey, listen, I know that you are a man of authority who has authority over illness. So I'm going to subject myself to you. Whatever it is that you will to do, so be it. But I sure do hope it's to, to come and heal my sick servant. This man didn't even want to put Jesus in a difficult position. I don't want you to come into my house. I don't want to put you in a, in a predicament that causes division between you being a Jew and the other Jews. I, I don't want to do that. This man, again, he knew, he, he knew chain of command. He knew authority. He, and he subjected himself to it. He simply trusted that Jesus could, and if he willed, and commanded, then it was as good as done. Well, obviously, as we see here, Jesus saw this. He acknowledged it. He pointed it out. In fact, we see here, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, in other words, this was a, um, an object lesson. I just want to I just want to point something out to you. I, I've marveled at this. this is, no one else in, in all of Israel has a faith of this man. A Roman centurion? Yeah. You know that Jesus, um, he also marveled at, at something else in Mark 6.6. 6, the unbelief of Israel. Imagine that. He'll marvel at unbelief as he marvels at faith like this. But he used it as an example. He wanted to make sure that they understood, hey, this, this is what really genuine faith looks like. Why? Because Jesus desires to see this in everyone. Because he desires that all people would come to believe in Jesus Christ so that no one perish but that all reach repentance. Well, as we know... Jesus did not continue to this man's house. And those who had been sent to Jesus returned to the centurion. Having, having, told, uh, having told Jesus exactly what the centurion was telling them to say to him. And they came back. They came back to the, the man's home. And what they found was truly, again, beyond understanding. They found the man's servant, completely healed. Proving once again that Jesus did have the authority to heal, just as the centurion trusted that he did. 
two things I want to leave you with. Two things. As we see the humility of this Roman centurion, the things that he considered, the way he, he came across, how he addressed Jesus, is truly something to learn from. Simply put this way, humble yourself. Remember how he, he learned to fall in line as far as subjecting himself to the authority of Jesus. He himself knowing authority and chain of command. He was subject to it, and he knew that those under him were subject to it. And so he humbled himself. May we humble ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So humble yourself. Secondly, trust in the authority of God's word. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The authority of God's word spoken in the beginning, God created. Right? It was, uh, uh, he just spoke, he spoke into existence the earth, the heavens, everything. Trust in the authority of God's word. In fact, I remind you of what God's word is intended to accomplish in our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The very word of God. But again, I bring you back, and I'll leave you with this. Why did he heal? Why is he doing anything in your life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's God's promise. But he desires that none perish. We just read in John why it is that these miracles took place and even more that we, we, have, we don't even know because had they all been written, they, there's not enough books to fill up and lay them all out one by one by one by one. You know, just continue on. But they were all meant that you may believe in Jesus Christ and by believing, you may have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As I, as I gave reference to Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23, none is righteous, no, not one. So whatever we come to offer, it's all in pride. Nothing to offer in exchange for salvation. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, what love. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that we shall be saved. For all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no one else, for, there's no sal- for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have you called on him? Because that is exactly what Jesus was doing here. Because this man's servant at some point experienced physical death. So what was important is that he would come to a place of believing on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Have you come to that point? And I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Other things will fall in line. They will. You'll grow and you'll learn. Absolutely. God desires to come along. you. He's interested in the details of your life. He really is. But the most important thing is your position eternally. In Christ, you're saved and will one day be in his presence for all eternity. If you remain in your sin unrepentant, then I can tell you with the assurance of the very word of God, of what we're warned of, that you you will spend eternity in hell separated from him in eternal torment. The choice is yours. I pray, I hope, as God desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance, that today be the day of salvation. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are so good. You are amazing, gracious, merciful. And we know that you are also just. Thank you for judging our sin on the cross. Lord, for pain in full for our sin. And I know that you, you do not desire for anyone to perish for all eternity in hell separated from you. And so, Father, I ask that you would stir the hearts of each individual here, that if there's someone here who has never surrendered their, their lives to you and received the forgiveness of their sins and known and called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. This would be the moment to where they, oh, they completely just surrender to you. Believing that Jesus is their Savior. And through him, would know forgiveness of sins, Father. And for anyone who, Lord, needs to recommit their lives to to you, Lord, that today would be that day. This very moment, Lord. That it it would be your, your love and your grace, your kindness, Lord, that draws us unto you. That we would not fear, but we would have a reverence and an understanding and a a respect, Lord, to the degree that we understand that you have the authority and the power to destroy both body and soul. And so I ask, Father, that you would 
Oh Lord, you would help us to recommit, if that's what's necessary, our lives to you. That we would know a, a weight that is taken away and a yoke that is easy as we follow you. And so, Father, we, we ask that you would do that mighty work. And we pray this in Jesus' name.